Hello, everyone, and welcome to Global Gurus, where every Friday we explore stories of international business and speak with industry leaders operating around the world. I'm your host, Philip Auerbach of Auerbach International. Thank you for joining us. If you're tuning in for the first time, we start each podcast with a running segment called Faux Pas Fridays, where we explore a funny blooper or a mistranslation that does not quite convey the professional image that your organization wants to project. And since today's guest is a lawyer, I thought that it might be best to start with a blooper that might uh, be wonderful business for lawyers uh, when these when uh, people gather outside his office and perhaps protest, because a sign outside a sign in English outside a, a Rome gynec- a male gynecologist's office said very simply, "Specialist in women and other diseases." With that. I'm pleased to introduce today's guest, who is Sophie Alcorn, who is a top 10 California immigration attorney, entrepreneur, and thought leader. She founded Alcorn Immigration Law, lauded as the top immigration law firm for startups in California. She authors TechCrunch's advice column, Dear Sophie, serves on the American Immigration Lawyers Association Technology and Innovation Committee, and hosts the podcast Immigration Law for Tech Startups. Sophie's mission is to help people harness their strengths, follow their hearts, and find direction in their goals, and live their dreams in the U.S. Her firm, Alcorn Immigration Law, has served over 1,140 clients from over 70 countries for more than 47 tech companies and with a 95% approval rating. So, Sophie, welcome. Delighted you could join us. Thank you so much, Philip. It's really a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me today. Pleasure. So before we dive in, could you please uh, tell us a bit more about your background and perhaps how you grew up and how you gained your experience, how, how you determined that you wanted to be an immigration attorney? Thank you. I would love to. I've said my whole life that I'm half German and 100% American. So <laughs> I grew up in Southern California, the daughter of an immigration lawyer, my dad, and my mom, who is an immigrant from Germany. And they met because my dad was my mom's immigration lawyer. And apparently it was uh, love at first sight. And uh, nobody saw my dad for several days after he met my mom. And um, within less than two years, they were married and settled in California, Southern California. And my mom was pregnant with me um, and she had her green card. So I grew up uh, between between two cultures and two languages. Uh, we would have German relatives come to town and stay with us for extended vacations. My dad would have international clients from all over the world come over for dinner, and he would regale us every night with his stories of helping people, engineers building nuclear power plants and helping brilliant award-winning Michelin star French chefs and saving families from deportation. And I loved his stories. I loved the people I got to meet. And um, when I was nine, I wanted to learn German. So I went to Germany and lived with my grandparents and went to fourth grade in the German elementary school. And that was my German immersion experience and studied German throughout 
uh, high school and um, during my international relations degree at, at Stanford, where I also lived in Moscow and Florence and studied Russian and Italian and even Old Norse literature. So mm. I love languages and cultures and meeting people from all over the world. And I, I fought becoming an immigration lawyer because I didn't want to merely copy my dad, but he totally inspired me. And, you know, it, he also fed me sugar cubes because that was the only food in his office so i have these memories (laughs) little and pushing the buttons on fax machines for him and getting to eat sugar cubes so that's where my addiction started (laughs) that's wonderful what a great story what a great love story also (laughs) thank you the lawyer or your doctor whatever that's great (laughs) so with all the international clients you've brought to the u.s um This is sort of a reverse interview in that most of our interviews are about uh, with um, Americans doing business abroad. And of course, this is a wonderful reverse story. And we've had a few of these with uh, people doing big business with uh, perhaps foreigners coming into this country or other nationalities coming into this country. So it's a wonderful, uh, still a very fascinating cultural experience and business learning experience. Um, Perhaps you could share with us some of the legal or business issues that you've encountered uh, with, and let me back up for a moment because a lot of the, I I assume a lot of the barriers that you you encounter are because of um, government issues. Yes. Uh, Just for our audience to understand, of course, um, the I don't want to say the end client, but ultimately uh, you're serving the U.S. government, who, which determines, of course, uh, through through its consulates and embassies, you know, who is admitted under what visa. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Mm-hmm. So, so also, yeah, yeah. So, um, but certainly the people whom you bring over have some very fascinating stories as well. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, as you mentioned, we do tech immigration. So we help international professionals and startup founders, venture capitalists, engineers, their families get permission to live and work legally in the United States. And it's a very, very international practice. We're based in Silicon Valley. We help the world's best and brightest in emerging technologies come to the U.S. and start their companies. So Yes. In in one facet of what we do, it's very black and white. At the end of the day, we either secure an approval from the U.S. government for our client or uh, we don't. But, you know, thank goodness, almost all the time we do. Uh, But it's it's fascinating because I get to witness uh, my clients journeys and counsel them through very challenging emotional time and as a as a business owner with an international business in a sense uh, we need to bridge culture language um, and uh, make our our services accessible to people all over the world in this uh, niche market of emerging technologies and entrepreneurship and 
Um, yes, many, you know, the actual work we do, the service we sell that is dealing with regulations and compliance and uh, government permission. But in this world, I get to witness my clients building multinational businesses um, and really, you know, taking charge of their own future and destiny with where they are going to be based geographically in the world. And um, that can be an emotional journey for people. So which we've we try to do everything from the heart because at the end of the day, it's about the human journey. Absolutely. Um, can you share with us any success stories that uh, perhaps these multinational businesses that your clients have built or happy other- to? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, so many stories. Every every person has a story and some of the ones recently that have inspired me are uh, international students in the United States who you know can barely get work permission but then they create these companies that uh, so, so many technologies. I mean, one that comes to mind they're building um, the grid for, electric vehicles to recharge in different in different places and not and not just cars but also scooters and and bikes and they're building this infrastructure and this is a bunch of of college students and um you know help helping them get into um major business awards and then seeing that they raise millions of dollars from U.S. venture capitalists and they're starting their companies. It's invigorating. It's exciting. One of my clients is building personal flying suit, jetpack propulsion devices. Others are, you know, curing cancer with machine learning and gene artificial intelligence. Um, it's, it's really is really exciting. And um, that transformation of, of somebody who, uh, as we were, as we were chatting before Philip, we were talking about imposter syndrome. And that is where a super brilliant, accomplished, qualified person feels like a total failure and imposter because all they're doing is focusing on the gap between where they are now and where they want to be in the future. And they fail to realize where they're actually at in the present moment or how far they've come. And so seeing the potential in people to get these very challenging visas for extraordinary ability and being in the U.S. national interest, which can be quite intimidating uh, to evaluate yourself if, if your presence is in the national interest of the United States of America. Um, but just uh, seeing that potential in people and, and shepherding them through the process and then witnessing, because immigration is a very traumatic um process for many people. It's scary. The stakes are high. Um, it's hard to get in the country. Even if you're here, it can be hard to stay here. Even if you own a house and have U.S. citizen kids, your future is not guaranteed, even if you pay your taxes. And so um, gently shepherding people through the process and um, 
I mean, it's hard. People, people get traumatized and triggered and scared by these experiences. They're afraid of deportation. So um, it's just the greatest privilege to help people get that green card or get that visa and know that now they're, they're one step closer to living their dreams and creating their vision for a better world. It's very inspiring. That's wonderful. I, I love the story about the person who's inventing the jetpack. Oh, uh, yeah. It's amazing. I'm like, so, can I do a demo? Maybe my. Uh, maybe so if you want to give me know. a Christmas present, I'll be yeah. delighted to take a demo. <laughs> Thank you very much. Great, great. They're trying. I think, I think the next step is like FAA approval to go into airspace. Right. Um, <laughs> um, Surely, as you're dealing with a lot of, I, I suppose a lot of your business, a lot of your your job is, in a way, psychology. You know, handholding and helping people with the trauma and the, um, the the, the total fear that yeah. they're dealing with. Um, are there any? Uh, ha, have you noticed differences between nationalities of how you how you have to deal with people from you know different parts of the world differently than, of course, uh, how you might deal with an American, for example. Oh, absolutely. And as an American, I mean, I know my clients are inbound U.S., but I am a, an American doing business globally, and I have to check my own cultural and linguistic assumptions all the time. Things that I take for granted are very maybe scandalous for other people, and I have to I have to keep that in mind that. Um, cultural differences and linguistic differences are a thing. I mean, I um, have so much admiration for the work that you do because in my study of languages, I realized just how how much language I learned, but also how far I was from being translator quality or interpreter quality and also just that subtle difference of meaning. And when you start dreaming or thinking in another language, somehow new concepts of thought become accessible to you that weren't part of your own cultural paradigm to begin with. So I try to remember that and keep it in, in mind. But um, one of the biggest things that I see is uh, the cultural difference between um, personal branding. And this in, for Americans versus people from other parts of the world. And this is uh, particularly strong in those situations of imposter syndrome where I need to get this brilliant startup founder permission to live and work legally in the United States. And, you know, it's not just humility or imposter syndrome, it's also cultural differences. Like in America, it's you know, fake it till you make it because you are it, but you just got to convince yourself in the world of it first and put yourself out there and be a thought leader and personal branding and personal marketing and be an influencer and get those likes and cover social media, go viral. Uh, you know, nobody cares about quality. It's just about who you can sell to, right? That's like the extreme of the negative version of how we are perceived and literally for a lot of these immigration options you have you have to achieve those effects to get approved by the US government and that can be a really tough pill to swallow for my german clients for my clients from japan i mean many cultures around the world value 
humility, humility, exactly. violence, yeah. austerity, accuracy, uh, no, you know, uh, under promise and overperform. Uh, and, and it is very challenging for some people to wrap their minds around it. And I have to, I just have to tell them like, look, I know this is hard for you, but you just have to treat this like a project, depersonalize it. These are the results we need. If you can achieve this, then we can get you where you want to be, please. Um, I know you're a good lovely person who's caring and not selfish, but please do this work. Please get publicity. Please write articles. Please judge competitions. I need you in the spotlight so that we can demonstrate how awesome you are so you can actually do this thing you want to do. But it's it's really hard for, for people from many cultures. Also, you know, of course, there's like a gender difference as well. Um, but I think in the U.S., we're on the most extreme end of um, personal brand. <laughs> yeah, I totally get it and understand it. I'm actually on a continuum um, of, oh, I can't even remember the name of the continuum now, but I used to know this totally. Um, oh, yes. Uh, personal versus impersonal business cultures. Um, oh. Actually, the only cultures that are more extreme than the United States are probably Australia and New Zealand. Um, and Israel is very, very close um, to, you know, this impersonal, I'll, I'll be blunt and call it bombastic you know we with this yes. self-aggrandizing business culture where you have to talk about yourself all the time and not necessarily lie about it but inflate what you're doing mm -hmm. um, and or focus on the best possible light because yeah these are all individualistic societies of people who had to fight great odds for survival in one way or another yeah yeah i like that in person yeah. and, and and it's a difference of the um it's more of a zero-sum game winner take all i want to be the winner versus a collective spirit of advancement that's valued exactly and um i lived in japan for a year and it was extremely difficult for me to come back to this country and then have to write a bio about oneself because you know, in Japan, of course, and in Asian cultures, is as you're saying, you you're much more humble, and you 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 never you never accept praise. You always deflect praise and so forth. And so, to come back to this country and then have to write my own bio was very traumatic as well. It's even hard for. Um, I have so many examples of women from countries and. The Middle East or South Asia, for example, who are all, you know, PhD students at Stanford and nanochemistry particles, and they're brilliant, you know, Fulbright scholars, and they're, you know, three times over the level of, of qualified for this stuff, and they're still afraid to do it because they think that they have to try harder first. So in some sense we can be our own our own worst enemies sometimes but it's so hard to get out of one's head and and see oneself objectively and i think that just one of the reasons i love language language and culture is because it it's a 
when when you real when I realize the boundaries of the sandbox I'm playing in and that there's other sandboxes, then there's more room for creativity because not everything has to be a baked in assumption and we can we can play with the rules. Absolutely. Um, are there any specific um, other business issues that you've encountered with your immigrant clients? Uh, not so much about the immigration part, but maybe, um, you know, just getting their businesses started or raising yeah. the capital or whatever the cases may be. For people coming to the U.S., there's a big issue of just banking after arrival, retaining your credit score, getting a loan, getting a credit card, getting a car, getting a cell phone, even though it's 2022. A lot of those things can be challenging for people. In the venture capital world, there's an emphasis on creating uh, corporations with a C classification under the US tax code in the state of Delaware, because it's pretty standard that most venture capitalists want to invest in companies with that structure um, for the hope that they'll grow and have a, a, an IPO. Um, but And there are services set up to help people around the world create those types of businesses. But for normal businesses, I mean, it's, it's hard. There's a lot of questions people have to think about with the structure of the business, talking to corporate lawyers in different countries, tax lawyers, employment lawyers, sure. you know, if you're doing stuff in a country, what about the substantial presence test and tax liability? Um, so there's, there's always a lot of questions. And then in the last year and a half with the great resignation, there's also been a huge push towards remote and hybrid work. So I'm seeing the rise of uh, global PEO remote work companies. Sorry, so PEO? What is PEO? PEO, Professional Employment Organization. It's like a co-employer to handle mm, employment issues. And now there's a few companies that raised hundreds of millions of dollars that are doing this globally. So for example, if you have some... Uh, contractors who are software engineers in Brazil, instead of those Brazilian people individually figuring out how to create their own sole proprietor companies and registering it with the Brazilian tax authorities, and you get a contract between your businesses. Now you could just tell the Brazilians, okay, go, uh, we're going to hire you through this remote work company, they're all set up to legally have employees in Brazil and they'll comply with Brazilian tax and employment law. Right. So get on their payroll and then we'll contract with them. Yeah. So, so that's one of the things that's becoming very popular. Well, that's fascinating. Um, if you had the chance to tell your present self some advice from what you've learned in the past, what do you think that would be? <sighs> lots of many things believe in yourself keep going start with the end in mind it's okay to admit your dreams to yourself even if you, you think they're mm. too overwhelmingly great to be achieved um have boundaries stand up for what you know is right don't don't take 
garbage behaviors from people, you know, <laughs> lots of things, Philip. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> and I know that you have been successful because you've started, I believe you started your firm in your own house and you've grown to, I believe, 32 employees, which is pretty remarkable Thank in a short you. time. Thank you. I, I did. I started in my kitchen six years ago, have bootstrapped. Um, we're, we're actually going to be um, about 25 people in the next few months. And we did this, the transition from in person to remote during the pandemic. And uh, it, we were, there were a lot of challenges under the Trump administration with the immigration landscape. There's a lot of anti-immigrant sentiment and it definitely toughened um, the immigration landscape. So I feel very, very proud to have started and grown my business in that environment. And now it's an exciting time because um, we know what works. We've helped thousands of people and now we can um, streamline and scale our offerings to be accessible to even more people in the world. So it's very exciting. Well, I'm sure your life is not all business. What do you like to do in your spare time? Well, I'm a mom. I have two kids in elementary school. So we hang out and play and have fun. And they challenge me with deep philosophical questions about the meaning of life. So that keeps me on my toes a lot. I'm I'm an avid reader. I've been interested in ancient mystical spiritual texts lately and um traveling and doing various yoga and meditation retreats those kinds of things and i just love hanging out with friends and traveling and eating good food and you know being around people that's great i'm sure with all the clients you've served you've had lots of invitations to visit their countries and be hosted by their families yeah yes that is something i'm really looking forward to picking up again now that now that travel is becoming more of of a possibility that's wonderful um before we close is there anything else you'd like to share with us oh my goodness thank you so much well i mean if anybody listening uh does need support with u.s tech immigration getting visas or green cards for yourself or your team members to come to the u.s we'd love to support you and um you can find us at alcorn.law slash contact and we'll send you the appropriate you know tell us a little bit about your goals and we can send you an appropriate questionnaire to see um how we can best support you and um you know it's just it's just such a, a pleasure to be here with you today philip thank you so much for supporting my firm with our interpretation and and translation needs. And thank you for this podcast and sharing these stories from all of your guests uh, with the world. Well, thank you. It's been a wonderful pleasure to gain your insights and your stories. And I I hope, uh, you know, deepening Americans' appreciation of what goes on in other parts of the world and other cultures. And, um, you know, one of the interesting insights that you gave is, you know, sort of uh, people, um, the behavior of humility and not promoting yourself and so forth. And one of the lessons that I've learned over the years, and I've, I've taught other companies, is that even within a company, um, you know, if you have a staff meeting 
There may be people from, uh, let's say, East Asia who are not accustomed to speaking up, especially women, for example. And, uh, and you know, the Americans would assume that that's a sign that the people, um, these employees have nothing to add or that, that they're, you know, they're just being... Um, they're lazy, they're timid, they're scared, they don't care, they're not taking initiative. Exactly. And that's not the case at all. It's it's a cultural yeah. issue much more. Yeah, absolutely. So people doing coming to the U.S. to do business from around the world, uh, please act like people in American sitcoms about workplaces. <laughs> <laughs> yes. With, with some caution, but you know, do put put yourself out there. It's important to speak up for yourself. People want to hear your ideas. The squeaky wheel gets oiled. Those are some of the sayings in our in our work. Very much. <laughs> very, very true. Well, thank you, Sophie, so much. That's been a great pleasure learning from you and gaining your great insights and experiences. Thank you, Philip. It was a pleasure. So this has been Philip Auerbach. Please join us again next week for another edition of Global Gurus and their stories of international business. Thank you. Thank you.